your education utopia look like? What changes would you make to the way we educate our future leaders? The Fresh Forward podcast is here to inspire ambitious educators like you to have fun, dare to experiment, and shake up adult education. Every two weeks, you'll hear from brave teachers who decided to do things differently, plus my tips on how to put the lessons they've learned into practice. I'm your host, Nija Krik, a learning experience designer and a relentless optimist on a decade-long journey in education innovation. Now, let's make your education utopia a reality, shall we? You probably had a moment in your life, or several of them, when a person makes an observation or a statement about how you behave or what you do or how you think that stops you in everything you do. And something in your mind or something in your head just kind of goes like... And there's this earthquake happening. And almost everything that you believed or thought you knew is all of a sudden questioned or put under scrutiny. I had one of those moments just two weeks after I moved to the Netherlands to attend a creative business school where my teacher then, by the way, he would never call himself a teacher. He would call himself everything but a teacher. After two weeks of me being in that program, Floris Goat, an excellent observer and a really, really daring educator who probes and probes and probes, so you kind of either love him or you hate him. I'm on the loving part. I really think he's brilliant. He looked at me and he said, with a funny grin on his face, Hey, Nisha, um, you know, um, looking at you, like observing you, you know what, Nisha, you really like rules, right? You're really fond of rules. And for me, the answer was, yeah, of course. I mean, rules are here for a reason, right? And he, he said, no, rules are for breaking. And I was like, no, rules are to follow. Rules are here to protect us. Rules are here. And I started making all of these arguments as to why we need to follow rules. And I was becoming angry and agitated. And I didn't understand what was happening at all. And he was just, he just sat back and started giggling. And I don't really know what happened afterwards that day. Because I think I probably left in a haze of commotion, questions, Let's just pack it in one word. It was pure discomfort. Okay, these were two words. I went back home, not home in Slovenia, but home to the place that I was renting in Utrecht at that time. And I sat with, with what on earth just happened? He just said, you really like rules, right? And then he said, well, rules are for breaking. Why did that bring such commotion, such chaos into my head and into my system, into my life. And I really needed to sit with that discomfort. I revisited this situation for many, many times in my life since then. It was 10 years ago. And now I can tell you why that happened and what I have learned from that particular statement and what am I implementing and doing differently today because of that simple statement. I realized that I was taking rules for granted until then. And you might say, okay, what's wrong with that? Taking certain things for granted. Of course, we go through life and we start taking certain things for granted. And I was 30 when he (laughs) he dropped that question on me. And I realized that I was in this comfort bubble with accepting the rules for what they were 
without questioning them because they gave me a false sense of security. False, you ask? Well, yes, they were false because at the same time, they were taking away my agency, my feeling in that I'm in charge of my own life, that I'm in charge of my own choices. The rules I never questioned made me complacent to somebody else's plan for me. But whose plan, you might ask? Well, you know, cultural expectations, institutional expectations, people around me that might have had some expectations off of me, about me, to me, towards me. But somebody else's expectations? Who might that be? Well, my peers, the society around me that was telling me that I should be a certain way because I'm a woman, that I should behave a certain way because I'm, uh, I'm training to be a teacher, that I should think a certain way because I'm from Slovenia, that used to be socialistic country before when we were still part of Yugoslavia. And all of this context of where I was growing up in led me to lead a life where I was accepting rules of other people without pausing and saying, wait a minute, is this actually serving me? And you could see that also influenced the way I was facilitating at that time, because I was already a facilitator. I was simply coming to Amsterdam to learn how to put facilitation into a business and not expecting that I will just be hired by a company and then working in the company. Another layer of why I wasn't used to questioning rules is because as I was growing up, I really didn't need to question rules. I had the most loving family environment I could think of when I was growing up. I was an only child and I had beautiful, beautiful, awesome parents and grandparents and the larger family who loved me. And I really felt loved. I always said to myself that I know that I'm spoiled because I know if anything goes away, I know that I'm loved and I'm getting really emotional right now because I know not everybody has that privilege of knowing that you're loved no matter what stupid thing you might do. <laughs> I think that's a luxury. And I really, once I became a mom, I said to myself, if anything that I want to pass on is that knowing that my kids are loved for whatever, whoever they are and whoever they choose to be. And at the same time, I also needed to acknowledge in my query of what happened with that statement about rules is that I was born in a socialistic country, but not so much born. I was raised by people who lived their majority of their adult life. Like they were born and raised in a socialistic country. And that means that the society, that the fabric of society was sticking together on a very basic principle, which is you step down for the good of the collective. It's a beautiful philosophical principle. You step down for the good of the collective. However, it also had consequences in the way I was growing up, in my own mental development, soul development, everything. And I'm not saying that it's bad. I'm just saying that there was a very needed cross point in my life where I needed to realize that and ask myself, is this still something that I want to continue? And the answer was yes, but not like this. No, I want to do it differently. I want to still keep that service to the, to the collective. However, on my terms, on my terms being in a way that will not burn me out, in a way that where I will still keep myself, my integrity and the joy to live my life so that I can then serve other people. Because before that reset, when I was 30, it was the other way around. I was living for other people first and only for myself after. 
maybe even last. And still, to this day, this reversal that I would be putting myself first is so difficult. I need to make that decision every single day. And it's interesting that me being a facilitator taught me so much about how can I put myself first and really seeing the effect that if I do that, I can serve the collective better. And it sounds maybe counterintuitive, but that idea of putting the oxygen mask on first and then helping other people around you, it's so true also in facilitation. And throughout the process of me stepping into facilitation as a profession and also as a way of life, for me, facilitation is not only my profession. For me, facilitation is my way of exploring of how I want to be as a partner, as a friend, as a mom, as a, as a daughter and all of the roles that I am inhabiting. For me, facilitation is really an excuse to <laughs> constantly question whether what I'm doing is serving me and the world around me. And so my reflection about rules really got me, this was the starting point of this journey towards myself, towards how can I be in the center so I can serve better, so I can serve better the, the people that I'm facilitating or teaching or training, depending on which role I'm putting on, right? Yes. So throughout this now 10-year journey from that very statement, I reprogrammed my relationship to rules. And I want to take you on this journey. How I slowly started experimenting, questioning, sitting with even more discomfort because, oh boy, was this uncomfortable. And it was also many times very unpleasant. What you will not hear me say is that it was a bad, negative. I don't want to use those words when I talk about emotions and my emotional experiences. For me, they are pleasant, unpleasant, comfortable, uncomfortable, but I don't want to put them into black and white, bad, good, negative, positive, because I dearly believe that even the so-called negative and bad, you know, the, the uncomfortable and unpleasant emotions are a source of vital information that can then help us open new doors, see new opportunities for growth, for laughter, for joy, for doing things that will make our lives fun and better. On this journey, I had to step into a few questions. No, I had to. I chose to step into a few questions that I think are fundamental. And again, they brought a lot of discomfort. So here we go. Who am I really? Not who I was told to be, but who am I really? And maybe it sounds like counterintuitive. You're talking so much about yourself, like me, 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 me. And yet you are serving the community. Hmm, yes. However, I cannot serve the community well enough if I don't know myself really. So the first question that I set with was, who am I really? And the next question I delve into, and I still am on a regular basis, right? What is it that I want to contribute to the world? What is the change that I want to contribute? One of the answers that came out of this reflection is I want to serve the educational community, but on my terms. And that's where my love and passion for facilitation comes in, because I do dearly believe that infusing higher education, especially adult education, with uh, facilitation as an approach could drastically speed up the change process that we dearly need in these systems. Because it enables tapping into the group wisdom that people have when they come together. And so 
what change do I want to be a part of? I want to be a part of a change towards an education where everybody can be who they truly are. And that means that they, they also need to be helped getting to the answers to that question. And that is completely out of the picture right now. Another part of the change that I want to be a part of is bringing the awareness of the emotional world that we are living in ourselves to prevent mental illness, to prevent anxiety, depression, suicide. And what better place to do that than education, than schools that we're going to, because that's where we're going anyway. So why don't we make them a place of joy where everybody can be who they truly are, no matter, you know, no matter how disorganized you might be, no matter how much fidgety you might be, no matter how much creativity and boost of energy you might have, or no matter how calm and shy and and um, you want to just crawl into your own corner, everything is fine. So how can we, on one hand, create learning experiences where each and every student knows that they're okay. And for that to happen, how can we support the educators being you to have the capacity to do that, not only for the students, but also for yourself. And I think that educators nowadays are faced with such humongous responsibilities. And I've seen that working through with educators throughout the pandemic. And one of the questionings that I, I think we should take, totally take uh, under in, into consideration is what is our relationship to rules? What are the rules that we can break without huge consequences? Because they just, you know... <laughs> were written because somebody wanted to protect their own ass. Like, let's face it, many of the rules are there to protect somebody else's butt. So let's be daring. Let's experiment. Let's see what is it that you can already do differently without nobody even noticing. So let's take it into practice. How did my facilitation look like before when I had this huge reflection about rules? And what did it slowly morph into? When I started my nomads education in 2012, I came there with this enormous urge to control to put order into my processes. This is what we're going to do first. Then we're going to do this. And this is going to take such and such amount of time because that's how I was trained as a teacher, right? I was taught how to make a pedagogical plan for 45 minutes down to a minute defined. And it was a great starting point. It, uh, don't get me wrong. I'm so happy that I went through that training. However, I didn't know that that letting go and not in the, you know, like letting go, letting go, not in that sense, like uh, princesses and shiny snowy castles, but more on a really practical side. How can I emotionally let go of a plan that I made with the best of intentions and then really follow the energy and the interest that I have in the classroom or in, in the group facilitation, if you will. So my starting point was very hardcore grip on the program that I made. And it's a great starting point. However, it also made me experience a lot of discomfort when things didn't go well the way I wanted them to go, right? I, I, I think you know what I'm talking about. When you prepare a beautiful lecture and then something goes wrong or you have a question from the, from the audience and everything just goes... So slowly... 
I realized that if I want to change that for myself as an, as a facilitator, but also the experience in the room for my participants, I need to drastically change the way I address agency, the way I address how people can and want to participate in the learning process itself. So instead of talking about rules, this is how we're going to do it. I started shifting towards invitations. And if you listen to the episode with Marilyn Melmon, there was a quote I want to remind you of that she said, you can invite people to try something out, but if they say no and you feel annoyed with them or yourself, then it was an invitation. Then it was not an invitation. And why I'm saying this is because this was this intermediate um, phase, right? That I was saying, okay, my invitation is this, my invitation is that. And it felt really good and felt like, oh, I'm onto something. However, when people didn't do it, I was like disgruntled. I was like, this is not what I wanted you to do. Okay. That for me was, again, a source of information that I haven't done my job well. My job being my inner work of being okay with whatever happens. Because I cannot control people's reactions. I can only control how I say it and how I feel about it. I can only control, I can decide what will my reaction to a certain other reaction be. So there was, first there were rules, then there were invitations with this fake smile, like, I'm inviting you into, <laughs> and then slowly with a lot of internal work, I came to really embodying the invitations that I am currently using in my practice. And these invitations, I have, how many I have? I have I amounted to around seven invitations that I neatly laminated after writing them so many times on a paper that I use every time I facilitate a process at the beginning. And I have a collection of them. And then based on what I want to invite people into, I make a selection and I say, okay, the invitations that I prepared for you today are the following. And what do these invitations bring? I notice that they give a sense of agency to the participants. They offer a possibility or an opportunity for growth. And with Maya Bahushi, we were talking about that growth could become a very toxic word in itself because you need to grow. Da, da, da. It's not that type of growth. Okay. It's more the, the idea of expansion. It's an opportunity for you to expand your horizon, your capacity for whatever you're after. So it also offers these invitations offer this equality. Hey, I am inviting you, but it's up to you whether you accept these invitations or not. Because an invitation is like a gift. I give it there, and then it's up to you whether you take it or not. And it's not one of those, you know, those horrible gifts that you get from a from a relative and you go like, hee hee, thank you, and then you don't know what to do with it, and you feel guilty of even the thought of throwing it away. Well, that's not that type of invitation. It's not the type of gift I want to say. Invitations are really me extending an offer. And it's up to you whether you take it or not. And so it's also serving the function of giving the acknowledgement that you're an adult and I'm an adult. And let's let's stop pretending that I'm something more or that you are something more because we are equals. And only when we're equals, we can have this fruitful collaboration. And I do that also when I'm working with younger people than me. 
Let's say when I'm working with students who have zero experience with what I'm doing, but I know that they have their own life experience and that is valuable. And that's what I want them to bring in through this process. That's the richness that they can bring, the, the freshness, the, the blank, the, the inexperience. It's so needed because they are not masked with expectations or this is how we did it and it didn't work, et cetera, et cetera, right? And so there are invitations for them. But there are also invitations for me. And I can tell you that whenever I am explaining these invitations, they're also a reminder of like, oh yeah, that's what I want to live today, right now, when I'm with you in this, in this process. This, this is an invitation, a constant invitation for me to walk my talk. And I can tell you these invitations are challenged on a regular basis. All right. Like there are moments where I, I need to step down or turn off my camera, make a fake break for the group so that I can regroup with myself and go like, okay, what's happening? And so again, these invitations are this beautiful gateway into exploration for expansion, for growth. And you might be asking yourself like, okay, Nisha, can we please hear some of these invitations? Glad you asked. Thank you very much. If you're on my newsletter, you will also get a picture of them. You will see how they look like and you will have a checklist. So first invitation that I like to begin with, if I choose them, is that be prepared to be surprised. And you might go like, hmm? Okay, yes, be prepared to be surprised. There are so many ways you can be surprised and people normally are, you know, in the bucket of, I really like surprises or in the bucket of like, e, please tell me so I don't get surprised because I really hate surprises and you might be somewhere in between. So being prepared for a surprise is such a beautiful invitation to opening yourself. You don't know what's going to happen. And frankly, me as a facilitator, I also don't know what's going to happen. I mean, I have a plan. I'm going to do my best to guide us through that plan. But what will happen in the group? What wisdom will come out? What questions will pop up? What realizations and what conclusions will come up? I don't know that. So being prepared to be surprised about whatever comes is a great invitation to start. The second one is dare to ask. The philosophy behind it is really to make the threshold of asking questions as low as it can possibly be. There's no stupid questions. I dearly believe that. And there are also always, you know, three types of people or three types of, yeah, three types of people you can ask questions to. You can ask me always as a facilitator. Of course you can. You can also ask the people around you, the, the team that we're working with, because there's so much wisdom there already. And people normally forget to ask themselves first. Because for some weird reason, also really sad reason, we tend to discount our knowledge way more and look towards the outside first before we even look into ourselves and say, maybe I already know the answer. So what could it be? And it takes courage to ask yourself because maybe the answer that you will, you will come up with, you might not like it. Dum 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 dum, spoiler alert. So the next invitation that I extend many times is go as deep as it feels good. Because I, you know, sometimes what you will find might not be, might not be the yay, yay, joy, joy. It is a fair amount of importance that people feel agency over how deep they go. I will extend a question, but again, it's an invitation, right? Will they go deep 
into reflection? Will they stay on surface? Will they go somewhere in between? It's up to them and it's okay. They need to be in charge of the depth that they will go for. And the invitation that it follows is respect your timing. And here I really love going back to the meaning of the word respect. If you look at it from Latin is respectare and it means to look again and again and again. So if I have respect towards myself, I am willing to look at myself again. I'm willing to look at my timing again, if I respect my timing. So maybe I'm expecting myself to already learn a certain thing by XYZ time, but circumstance might have been not in favor of, of that rhythm, of that, of that pace. So instead of going, eh, eh, Nisha, you were a bad girl. You haven't done it yet. Bah, 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 bah. Instead of that, I can go like, oh, wait a minute. Have I just given birth to twins? Yes. Okay. Um, is it even physically possible for you to, you know, go further in your businesses right now? No. Ah, okay. So it's a constant invitation towards myself in this case, because I don't know who you are on the other side, right? It's a constant invitation to be kind to yourself, to have respect for your timing and ask yourself, is this the timing when I can learn XYZ, where I can accelerate, or do I need to step back on the throttle and go slower? And maybe you will say, no, 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 I'm ready. Go, give it, go. Like, help me, help me go. Let's go faster. And then we'll go faster. And for all of this to be able to exist, to, to be able to happen, I ask people to put on their most colorful curiosity glasses. Now, curiosity glasses are super fun, okay? They come in all shapes and sizes. They are hearts, they are flowers, butterflies, red, yellow, all of the colors of the rainbow. And they help you look at the world from a perspective that you're not used to. So it's an invitation in curiosity as a mindset. I cannot tell you what beautiful things happen when people dare to step into their curiosity. They um, step into their playfulness, they have fun, they, they even dare to dance with me, you know, like I've been dancing with corporate people, don't get me wrong. It's been a lot of fun. And the last invitation that I extend towards my participants on and on and on is progress, not perfection. And I'm bringing this one back from business world because... I do believe that education systems and the way we educate needs some of the infusion uh, of the thinking and the mindsets that the business entrepreneurial world has. And since I'm a businesswoman and also an educator, I call myself not an entrepreneur, not an educator, but I'm an edupreneur, right? I believe that infusing, cross-pollinating these fields can bring really, really cool stuff up. So progress, not perfection. Going into experimentation, trying it out, not going for the perfect course curriculum that you have brewed up yourself in a, in a corner of the university, but really stepping into trying it out, testing it out, asking questions, creating together, co-creating with students, with different stakeholders. I mean, that's been happening in business for so long and education can do with more of that as well. But it comes down to progress, not perfection, not expecting yourself as an ed educator that every classroom needs to be the way you designed it. And it goes back to being able to step back from what you've created and being more focused on who is in the room instead of what have I designed for this particular session. And these invitations really help me 
create environments where people feel seen, where people feel a sense of belonging, and where people feel acknowledged for what they bring into the circle. And it's a beautiful way to start any given process. And now back to you. What's your relationship with roles? Is it healthy? Is it playful? Is it joyful? Is it constricting? What is it? How does it feel? And if you look into your facilitation, training, teaching, education practice, how is it that you want to create a safe environment where your students or participants can explore, feel agency over, over their own wisdom, over their own knowledge? Are there any invitations that you want to extend next time you are in the classroom? If yes, what would they be? If not, why not? I invite you to put on your most colorful, fun curiosity glasses and sit with whatever comes up. What burning questions came up for you during the episode? Connect with me, Neja Krik, on LinkedIn and ask away. And if you're not Slovenian, the chances are spelling my name may be difficult. So here it is, Neja Krik. N for November, E for Echo, Z for Zulu, A for Alpha, K for Kiwi, R for Romeo, E for Echo, and K for Kiwi. Plus, the link to my profile is in the show notes. Let's continue our chat on LinkedIn. Cheers! <laughs>